0: been working through 1 Corinthians, um, and just to set a short background for it, Paul went around on a number of occasions starting churches. He went with Silas, he went with Barnabas, he took people like Timothy with him, and they would go into places and establish churches, he would preach and teach and plant a church, and then they would visit them afterwards, after a while, and go and see how they were doing and work with them to develop the churches, until eventually times came that Paul couldn't attend those churches anymore, and so he wrote to them. And so we have the epistles of Paul, letters that Paul wrote to encourage the church, to correct the church. And in this case, Paul's writing in relation to a number of concerns that have been expressed about what's going on in the Corinthian church. He writes to encourage them, but also to correct them and to speak about some of the problems that they're experiencing in the church. And I'm going to read the the scripture for today, and then we'll look at the problem that he's confronting. We're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, and it says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for there is, where there is jealousy and quarreling amongst you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting as mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. <clears throat> the problem that Paul's dealing with here is what he calls carnal Christians, fleshly Christians. In this letter, Paul refers to three kinds of people. He talks about the natural man in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. He says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. He talks about people who are unchanged by God, they do not have the Spirit of God living in them. They are not born again. They are natural, carnal, well, they're natural people um, who don't understand. You know, John 3, 3, when, we, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and, and Jesus says to him, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's not just talking about the fact that those people can't go to the kingdom of God. He says they can't understand it. The mysteries of God are beyond our intellect. And Paul talks about people that are, natural, they are unable to accept things, they, they cannot be held accountable for them. Sometimes when we are looking at people who are not Christians and they, and they show such a disdain for the Scriptures, think about the fact that we believe in a God that we can't see. We believe that He created the world by speaking it into existence. We believe that because the Holy Spirit has convicted us of that. For people who have not been convicted, it sounds like a fairy story. It sounds like an extension of Lord of the Rings. And we get angry because they don't think the same way that we do, but they haven't been quickened by the Spirit. Our job is to present the truth to them and trust the Holy Spirit to quicken that inside them and, and, and bring them to an understanding. But Paul talks about these natural people, the natural man. Then he talks about the spiritual man in 1 Corinthians two fifteen and 16. He says, the person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject merely to human judgment. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. He talks about people who are now equipped to understand the things of God. When we receive Jesus Christ, when we give our lives to the Lord, you know, we have so many terminologies. I prefer to say I've given my life to the Lord than that I've found Jesus. I've got a cartoon at the school that's got a couple of guys knocking on a lady's door and saying, have you found Jesus? And behind it, there's a, a curtain with a pair of sandals sticking out underneath it. Jesus is not lost. He finds us, and we don't, I would encourage you not just to invite him into your life but to give your life to him, not just to add him as another influence in your life but to give your life to him entirely. And when we do that, we get inhabited by his Holy Spirit who begins to make things understandable for us that we cannot understand by ourselves. And we need to be submitted to that so that we make our judgments and our decisions based on what the Spirit says to us on the teaching of the Holy Spirit inside our lives. But in this section, Paul's talking about people that he calls fleshly or carnal people. He says, these people know the things of God, but still characterized by fleshly carnal thinking, by judgment and lifestyle that is carnal. And to understand this a bit better, we need to look at the actual words that are used when he writes here. There are two words that are used when we talk about the flesh or the carnal person. Um, There is one that is used, for example, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3, which says, you show that you're a letter from God the result of our ministry written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God on tablets of, not in stone but on human hearts and that human is the flesh heart he says there's a part of us that is in, in, inherently human that will always be we live in a flesh suit I call this my earth suit this body that I have it's what I wear while I'm here I'm going to have a new better one when I get to heaven it's going to look great it's not going to have a little paunch it's going to have lots of hair and it's not going to be white or gray. But it talks about fleshly the, the, is, is the word sarkinos in the Greek. The word that's used here when Paul talks about the people that are in the flesh here, he talks about the word sarkikos, which means people who should know better, who are of the Spirit, people who are born again, that understand the Spirit but are not doing it. He's not talking about unbelievers. He talks about them as brothers. He says, you are not uh, spiritual, but carnal. He talks about Christians already, people who have the Spirit of God, who know what to do, who have the ability to understand the Word and to apply it, but are not doing it. Um, Just to talk about both of those, before we get on to the sarkikos or the the fleshly, carnal Christian, just talking about the, the weakness of the flesh, we need to take that into account as well. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil at a time of physical weakness. It says the devil came and tempted him to try and get him to eat, to try and get him to worship him, or to make food that, that, uh, by miracles and to do things that he wanted. He came at a time that he was physically weak. And when it ends that section, it says that the devil left him for a more opportune time. He left him for another time when he'd be weak. We are going to be talking about the spiritual side of carnality, but your flesh is, is something that you need to take into account. Look after your flesh. It houses your body. It houses all the things. It, sorry, it houses your spirit. It houses your intellect and the things you need to use. Watch out for being placed in positions where you are tempted by your flesh. And I always say to my children at the school, the time to make the decision not to have a spliff is not at the party when someone offers it. It's when you hear it's going to be at the party and not going in the first place. So that fleshy... Humanness of ours we need to take into account, but today we want to concentrate on the fact that we have this fleshly use in terms it says you are characterized by the flesh. It speaks of one who can and should do differently, but does not. Paul says that the Corinthians were sarkikos. And he says that by saying to them that he cannot feed them solid food. He says they have to have milk. Now, this is a church that Paul spent a year and a half at when he established it. It's one of the places he stayed for the longest in his travels. And he built a very good foundation. And at that time, he taught them in a simple way and said this morning at one point, there aren't two different gospels at different times. He was teaching them the truth of the gospel, but in a very simple way, needing them to grow up and be able to put that into practice in in a deeper way as they understood more and more how that affected them. But he says they've not grown in that way. He says, he warns the Corinthian church that they've not grown up and spiritually talks about feeding them on milk to start with. What had happened over this period of time was that the people had grown, but not in the way that he wanted them to. Paul wants them to grow in their spiritual strength, in their spiritual understanding, and in applying that and becoming more effective. They've become intellectual about their faith. They've become connoisseurs of good sermons. They've become people who look at the style rather than the content of what people are saying. And why do I say this? Well, Paul calls them out as being fleshly, he says something that I find is an awesome mind. He says to them, You're behaving like mere humans. Guys, that should excite us terribly. I'm not a mere human, I'm a superhuman. Paul says we're not mere humans. What's he mean? Well, I need to find my scripture. One Peter Two verse 9 says this but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light when it says God's special people the old translation says a peculiar people you are not normal stop trying to be normal so many Christians spend so much of their energy trying to be as close to everybody else as they can in their appearance and the way that they behave themselves to try and be more user friendly you aren't normal you have been changed by Almighty God. You have His presence living inside you. You have abnormal ability. You have abnormal understanding if you allow Him to bring that into life. But if you're trying to suppress that to be like everybody else, we're not fulfilling what we've been called to do. And Paul says, you're behaving like mere humans. I'm excited by that. I really am excited by that. I'm not a mere human. I'm a superhuman. I can't fly to the air like a bullet. I can't have x-ray beams coming out of my eyes like Superman, but I have the ability to do things in a different way because God inhabits me, and when he tells me to do those things, I can do those things. Now watch the proof of the carnality. Paul says, the problem comes in one says I follow Paul and another says I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe One of the things that exposes the hypocrisy of this church in terms of the way they responded to teaching was the difference or the similarities between Paul and Apollos. So let's look at the background of these two men. We know that Paul, before he became known as Paul, which is just simply the Greek way of saying the name Saul, Saul was a Pharisee. He was an educated man, and he was persecuting the church. He went around persecuting the church with great fervor, And then one day, he's riding on his horse to Damascus to go and persecute the church there, and God knocks him off his horse, and Jesus says to him, Why are you persecuting me? And Saul has a conversion that is profound, instantaneous. He sees the reality of who Jesus is, and immediately he begins to apply what he's learned in the past to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. It says... In Acts chapter 9 verse 19 Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. This is a man who has denied him, but he's had the conviction and when he got the conviction the Holy Spirit revealed to him all of the scriptures in the Old Testament that refer to the Messiah pointed to Jesus. This was something he had embedded in him already the depth of knowledge about the Old Testament. He knew the prophecies about the Messiah. Like all the other Jews, he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah because he was looking at the wrong characteristics. And then when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, suddenly through the Holy Spirit that's revealed to him and he goes, I understand that scripture points to the Messiah being Jesus. And so he begins immediately, straight away in Damascus. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul's style was to take learning from the Old Testament and to apply it in preaching with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What about Apollos? Well, Apollos comes out of a section of Acts which I love because as Paul was traveling around, he was training up people and sometimes he would meet people that were partially aware of what was going on with Jesus and he would teach them further. And he spent some time with people called Priscilla and Aquila at one point in Ephesus and, and taught them more. And then we read about a guy called Apollos. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandra, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of Scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So they didn't say, You're not preaching the whole gospel, you're a terrible person, get out of town. They said, Come to our home and let us explain more to you, and he received that. This is a time of equipping. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who believed because he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Do you see the similarities? The sad thing is that Paul and Apollos had the same message, the content was the same. So, why are people expressing a preference one over the other? Because of his appearance? his delivery style, his background, their past experience. All these carnal and intellectual reasons are them saying, for that reason, I prefer this person. I want to talk about that for a moment or two. We do the same. We have preferences. I know that I spoke to a couple of people when lockdown came, they went online for for teaching and they began to surf the internet for people who's preaching they appreciated. Nothing wrong with that finding some people to strengthen you from other parts of the world. The Internet's wonderful in finding those things out. But people begin to develop almost cult followings of certain preachers. And eventually they won't listen to other people except the few people who agree with them or agree with their thought pattern. And like anything online at the moment, the moment you begin to focus on something, those algorithms pick up the fact and they begin to feed you the same teachings and the same style of people. And you get people who are beginning to concentrate on one aspect of the gospel because they're not prepared to listen to someone because of their style of preaching or because of their appearance or because whatever happens. And we begin to get very narrowed down in what we're seeing. And people start spending all their time looking at mysteries that are not necessarily important. So I've got some friends who are absolutely sidelined by trying to determine how old the world really is. When did God actually historically create the world and they're working out how many thousand years this happened and that happened at the same time some of them are trying to work out what the mark of the beast actually is and they're focused on that I don't want to be facetious but you're not going to get to heaven one day and Peter's going to meet you in the gate and say welcome in because you have determined as closer than anybody else how old the world is welcome in good and faithful servant Welcome in because you came closest of anybody working out who the beast is. People be- tend to, to focus in on style and not substance. They become not world-weary, they become word-weary. They become connoisseurs of style. I used to be part of the, of, of the staff of, of a Maxi church in South Africa, a very big church where it had thousands and thousands of people. And when we had our annual conference, many thousands of people would come. And they'd come because we had preaching superstars. And some of them were very effective preachers, but people came for the wrong reasons. We once had an evening where someone punched one of our ushers because he couldn't get into a meeting because he'd come to see his favorite preacher. Now think about that. Seriously. He knocked down the usher because he said to him he couldn't come in because the building was full, because of the fire regulations, because he couldn't see his favorite preacher. That's a carnal way of looking at the word. That's looking to stimulate your intellectual um, mind and, and, and to be tickled in the intellectual areas. So Paul is distressed in seeing that people are taking the preaching on in that way. For that reason, for the fact that they become focused, but also because at the very least, it means they're not growing. At the very worst, it means they're becoming inoculated against the gospel. You know, the way that vaccinations work, we all know, is you get a small amount of the disease or something very similar that stimulates the antibodies in your body to stand up against that thing. If people are sitting in a service and their focus is on the delivery style, the fluency, the intellect, the vocabulary of the teacher or the preacher or the appearance or their background or something like that, they're not focusing on what the Holy Spirit is saying inside them. They are having a carnal time, not a spiritual time. And they're not being equipped. And what's happening is they're becoming... Mike Palavachi a while ago, Ant and I were at a leaders meeting and he spoke about a time in the worship history of Soul Survivor, which you mostly would, all of you would know, has played a huge role in in developing different types of worship and different understandings of worship in this country. And he spoke about the fact that when Matt Redman was there, he became very popular. And I think that I need to say that I've seen so many people trying to copy Matt Redman's style when they should actually copy his heart because what he did was different because of his heart, not because of his musical style. But so many people began to come for the music. They came for concerts. And one, I can't give you the exact words, but Mike said there was one day when I overheard someone saying, worship didn't do anything for me today. Think about it. Worship didn't do anything for me today. People were going to be part of the emotion the joy, the music, the atmosphere of the place, and it hadn't lived up to expectations, and worship is only and all about giving glory to God. And he stopped the musical worship for months. I don't know how long it went on and but they didn't have musical worship in there. They would pray. He said he'd rather not have a church and have people have that understanding of worship. And Matt Redmond wrote that wonderful song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, because that's where his heart had always been. He wasn't responsible for people's attitudes. When we have people coming to church to be entertained, they are short-changed. They're not being equipped, they're not being fed, and they're being made seared, not calloused against the truth, because they're looking at the style that it's been given in. But there's another reason why Paul is distressed about this, and I hope this is going to help. there's a little video clip that I've asked the guys to prepare that some of you will recognize from a popular movie. It's from the Master of Understatement, Indiana Indiana Jones. So let's just see what we've got here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Is what I want to say to you. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And may I say, if you're not having a struggle, you're probably not a threat. So if you're not having a struggle in your spiritual life and nothing ever challenges you, then be a bit concerned about that. Because the devil will come after you if you are serving God with all of your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And we have that struggle. And if we want to go into that struggle with our intellect, if we want to go into that battle trying to figure things out and impress people with our eloquence and our personalities and our humor and all those kind of things that we we enjoy having, it's not going to win the battle. We're going to carry a knife into a gunfight, just like that poor fellow did on the, the clip we had. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 says this For though we are in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. If my mind is filled with the carnal style and the intellectual niceties of theology, and there's nothing wrong with theology, but if my mind is filled with that, if all I've got is clever words, I'm going into a fight that I can't win. And Paul doesn't want these Corinth was a very sophisticated city, it was a city with lots of gods, it was a city with lots of um, sophistication, and these people were coming into services and sitting and judging who spoke, judging the writings of different people, and they were not equipping themselves, they were not growing, they were still eating milk, they were not protecting themselves, they were vaccinating themselves against the truth, and they were not equipping themselves with the right weaponry to fight with. And so Paul writes them. So, where does that affect you and me? I can't judge you, but I know there've been times that I've sat in a sermon and I've thought, "I love the delivery," and I've gone away thinking, "I'd like to use that," and I'd like to use this. And when I've asked myself a while later, "What did I learn in that?" I haven't learned anything because I've not been focused on the on the Spirit teaching me God's word. When we get up on the mornings on in the mornings on Sunday and begin to speak to you, it's not to impart our wisdom. I don't have enough to share. I need every bit I've got. It's to share the wisdom of God and to have the Holy Spirit quicken something to you. Hopefully this morning, different people will receive different things from what I've said because the Holy Spirit will say, that's for you, that's for you, if we are open to him. And so I would encourage you, take the warning that Paul's given to these guys. He loves them dearly. He calls them brothers. He calls them brethren. He doesn't say these are a bunch of bad guys, but he says you're in a place of danger. You're in a place of loss you're in a place of not getting all that you can get I think if I could leave you with one phrase is don't bring a knife to a gunfight I'm going to pray and then we're going to take communion together so let's just pray together father thank you so much for your word and thank you for your spirit and thank you that your spirit makes your word come alive that your spirit teaches us and guides us and I pray Lord that we will have soft hearts and open hearts to hear your word that we will take the time to have the Holy Spirit minister to us and know what it is you wanting to say to us help us for uh, to not be proud to not be picky and choosy about the topics we want to hear but to hear everything that you have to say to us help us to be soft-hearted to be fleshy in our hearts not fleshly not carnal but be soft and, and able to be influenced by your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.